Okay, let's recap. Cloudflare around a year and a half ago announced they're moving away from Nginx to their new brand new uh, proxy. And they call it Pingora. They built it from scratch. And we understood that. I covered it around a year and a half ago, uh, talking about the reasons why they moved. And those were valid reasons, right? Uh, I'll, I'll reference the video uh, for reference. But essentially, the main, main reason, right, is, uh, is they find it difficult to extend Nginx because it's in C. They make a lot of mistakes in C because of it's not memory safe. That's one problem, security, essentially. And, you know, having memory leaks on the web on the most popular... Uh, cloud platform is not acceptable because you know heart bleed other things it's really dangerous so they want to avoid it so they they said hey, we want to fix that the other problem is software architecture decisions that nginx made such as uh having each request being served by a process not a thread it's a process-based model so you have this fat uh process control blocks, the PCBs, like every process has this data structure that maintains its own virtual memory. And that, when that happens, you're completely isolated, which might be a good thing. Isolation of memory is actually a good thing, but it leads to fragmentation because every request is served by a process. This request needs to turn around and talk to a backend, the real origin right? And it needs a connection to do that. So every process has its own, you know, view of the universe. It's ha it has its own connection pool. And every single other process do not share these connection pools. And as a result, you, if you're talking to the same backend, you will end up executing a lot of handshake, SSL, you know, handshakes, and all this in a connection establishment for each process. And those cannot be shared. And this adds delays. So they, they want to address that by moving to multi-threaded. And of course, the new to multi-threaded, you increase the chances of memory safety issues. So they solve that by moving to this language that is called Rust. A lot of people enjoy writing Rust. I don't know much about it. But when I read this news, this piece of news, I got interested to actually start learning Rust. Cloudflare is doing an interesting move here, and we're going to talk about what is this move exactly. They open sourced that thing in Rust. Let's discuss this. Welcome to the Backend Engineering Show with your host, Hussein Nasser. This is the show where we discuss the art and the craft of building software and cover recent news on backend technologies. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and rate it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. With that said, let's get on, on the show. There are many ways to architect performant backend applications. 
all of which are subject to a fundamental understanding of backing concept and networking. Once an engineer understands these fundamentals, they can make appropriate decisions for their needs. There's really no wrong or right backend design. It all depends on the use cases. Get my fundamentals of backend engineering course to understand backend communication design patterns, protocols, execution, proxying, and much more. To check out the course, head to backend.win for a discount coupon. That is backend.win. Let's get back to the show. All right, so this comes from Cloudflare, open sourcing Pingora, our Rust framework for building programmable network services. Now this changed. The language has changed. It's a framework now, and Rust is in the title. And it's no longer just a proxy. It's a programmable network services. So when I read this, I didn't think much of it. But as I'm reading this announcement, okay, you built a very nice tool, right? Very nice, cool proxy. You solved some of the problems that you guys had, not necessarily everybody else. Nobody had, uh, you know, Cloudflare workload, you know? Nginx is fine as it is for 90% of people but Cloudflare had that problem of this sharing. So now uh, can other people benefit from it? Maybe, we'll really have to think it. And they actually admit that, says, hey, this might not be for you. But essentially what caught my attention is this framework thing. I said, all right, I didn't think much about it. As I continue reading this, it's all right, you guys built something good. But then when we came to the section where I started seeing code. Well, I was like, what? Why are you guys showing me code? Most proxies and web servers are. You, I build this thing, sure people can compile and fix, you know, and improve the software, but I configured the software. There's a config file and it says, hey, this is the backend I'm gonna connect to. And this is, I don't know, the delay. And this is the timeout. And this is this and that. So there's a rich set of configuration. I didn't see any of this here. They don't have configuration. They say, hey, we're going to change the game a little bit. They actually let you customize everything. If you, so, so you can still build your own proxy from scratch. Let me see that again. We did not have anything like this. Let's rephrase that. I didn't see anything like this. An actual proxy. Now you might say, Hussein, I can build a proxy in Node.js. Yeah, but it doesn't come with built-in load balancer algorithms, right? Or SSL, you know, built-in, you know, SNI and header, you know, header compression and header overriding and all these things that is proxy specific. You know, it doesn't come with any of this stuff. You have to write all of that stuff. So they came up with a rich set of Rust libraries and you can extend this stuff with Rust. So this, I found this very interesting. Now we have the ability some people might enjoy 
building if i want to start building a proxy there is no reason to start from scratch because proxies are popping up as well right there's no reason to start from scratch and even if if i want to build a web server there's no reason to start from scratch or even a client because all of this network services are now open so so disney look at all this sugoides Bingora HTTP, limits, load balancing, LRU, memory cache, OpenSSL, pool, right? The proxies, the runtime. I've seen. I remember seeing clients. I might, might see that. It. Maybe it's in the under HTTP as well. Right? But yeah, it's a very interesting concept. I'm all over the place here, but let's read some of this and uh, discuss. What's in the box? Pingora provides libraries and APIs to build libraries and APIs. You see that? It's not out of the box. You cannot just spin up a Pingora instance and start configuring it. No, 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 no. That's what I thought when I first saw the news, but no, nothing like that. Provide APIs and libraries to build services on top of HTTP 1. They no longer say 1 1 because it's obvious that they're talking about HTTP 1 1, not HTTP 1 0, oh, of course. That thing is dead. So HTTP 1 and HTTP 2, HTTP slash 1 and HTTP slash 2, TLS or just TCP over UDP. As a proxy, it supports HTTP 1 and HTTP 2 end to end. So the front end of the proxy can read HTTP 1 or HTTP 2. It can terminate HTTP 2 and then talk as a client to the origin backend in HTTP 1 or HTTP 2. So the messages, the streams you receive from the client are also load balanced on multiple streams even on the same backend connection or another backend HTTP connection. GRPC, similar thing. That's layer seven GRPC, which I personally didn't interact with or use. But that that message itself is terminated and the message in GRPC, that command, their procedure command is also load balanced, right? Um, WebSocket proxying, similar thing. HTTP3 support is on the map, so it doesn't support HTTP3 yet, but th those guys own, pretty much own HTTP3 at this point. They, they, most of their people working on HTTP3 anyway. It also comes with customizable load balancing and failover strategies. So you might say, Hussein, uh, I can build, uh, I don't know, a C proxy. Of course you can do it from scratch. You can do all this stuff. But there is no libraries that does any of those stuff. Right? Or maybe so there's some library and then Genex provides certain libraries. But again, those libraries are using certain languages and their problem with these languages is they're not memory safe. Or if they are, they are using garbage collection or either interpreted, which are slow. So... They went with Rust, which doesn't have a garbage collection, but it's an ownership, you know, module where 
everything, every memories that you allocate is tracked at compile time, and it tells you that if this is safe or not. Yeah, that's that's what I know about Rust. That's the my limit of the of the language, basically. It's a very fascinating thing. For compliance and security, it comes both with commonly with OpenSSL and Boring SSL library, which comes with FIPS compliance and post quantum crypto and all that stuff. So Pingora provides filters and callback to allow its user to fully customize how service should process, transform, and forward request. These APIs will be especially familiar to OpenResty and Nginx users, as many intuitively uh, and many map intuitively onto OpenResty uh, Lua callbacks. Op operationally, Pingora provides zero downtime, grace rest graceful restarts, which means uh, every single request that if you want to restart your instance, it will complete that request before actually it gets the signal to actually restart it. So it will never ever drop a single incoming request. Right? So that's what a zero uh, downtime. Uh, Syslog, Prometheus, if you like this stuff, telemetry and must have observability tool are also easily be in, easily integrated with Pingora as well. Who can benefit from Pingora? That's the question that most of you might have now. Right? Security. Uh, so this this is where they play play their Rust card. Pingora is a memo is a more memory safe alternative for for services that are written in C and C I understand that a lot of people this is debatable, right? And uh, I frankly don't know much about Rust to actually talk more about why it is debatable. But I I I still if if it's not, if this is the case then everybody should will immediately move to Rust, right? There must be some resistance there while some might argue about memory safety among programming languages from our practical experience we found ourselves way less uh, we found ourselves way less likely to make coding mistakes that lead to memory safety issues besides as we spend less time struggling with this issue we are more productive implementing new features right? they say hey we use rust we no longer make all these silly memory mistakes. Okay. So security. Especially if you're in the cloud. Security really matters. I mean, if you get a memory leak in your local proxy, it's annoying. But if it's not publicly exposed, it's not the end of the world. But if you're publicly exposed, then it becomes dangerous. And that's, that's where people are afraid of, you know, and not not just because like oh you can run like a you ex execute your own code but the ability to, for someone to crash your stuff with a request is dangerous that's where dos attack comes in right your service is performance sensitive pingora is fast and fast and Pingora is fast and efficient. As explained in our previous blog, which I covered, we saved a lot of CPU and memory resources thanks to Pingora multi-threaded architecture. Yeah. How did they save CPU though? Because like, I remember this 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 shared memory uh, memory right connection pool allowed them to. Uh, well, yeah, that's right. Because you basically you make less connections because now everything is shared. 
function as a result because most of the you know, this TCP handshake, the SSL stuff takes CPU as well as memory, right? And if you get rid of that, you save a lot, right? Thus, saving in time resources could be compelling for workloads that are sensitive to the cost and the speed of the system. You gotta admit that this this feature is actually this feature is good. Like ability to have a request land on a thread as opposed to a land to a, to land on a process which is own thing completely isolated doesn't see the other processes keep in mind that actually nginx have shared memory you can share memory between processes it's just that the connection pool is not shared and can you fix that nginx absolutely someone might you know just uh you know push a patch to introduce shared connection pooling in nginx and this might not be a problem but it could introduce other issues of course right? that we we are not aware of but yeah so they claim that hey uh we're better uh, especially that we have this shared resource essentially and we're multi-threaded so i gotta give them that like multi-threaded in general is lighter weight than multi-process especially um like it all and this is debatable right because switching threads is faster than switching processes this is undebatable we know that is true the reason is because two processes to be context switched to the same cpu you have to discard any caches including the tlb the translation look ahead buffer which is the responsible of mapping virtual memory to physical memory why 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 do i discard this because the entire virtual memory is different between processes virtual memory address 700 in process one is completely something else than virtual memory 700 in process two no no no, no. these are completely different you cannot reuse this you're going to be pointing either in a empty location which will cause a crash or in a uh, in another issue which is like in another memory which is also bad right so we don't share that so we flush the tlb cache when we flush the tlb cache we take the head to go back to the memory to, to back to the page table specifically to read those mappings the new mapping for the new process you don't have any of this stuff in the, in the threading if you switch a thread, the all threads of the same process share the virtual memory space, right? They don't share the stack, but they share the memory virtual memory thread. So if you have like a large TLB in L in the L2 cache, it's a beautiful way to store that and share it. So if if another thread came in, the only thing you need to context switch is the program counter some registers right uh you can keep the tlb which is good so you can share it uh you can keep the pcb pointer the process control block which has the process information but you need to switch the thread control block yeah, that's like how this is your this is the pointer for i don't know your statistics 
you know, the CPU statistics for this thread, how much, like this is the program counter, this is the information, this is there, right? And other stuff as well. So yeah, so threading, like long story short, threading, switching threading is less expensive than switching processes, right? Now, how much is, it depends how many CPUs, how many processes, other workloads, so it all adds up, you know? Multi-threading, on the other hand, comes with challenges because now that you have shared virtual memory, you have to be delicate. And that's what they are dealing with. Because now they have, they can put all this connection pool in a single place, right? Which is, you can put, literally put it in the process memory, right? In the heap. And the threads share the heap, right? So that's fine. They can read from this. But now you're, the challenge becomes in, in, and I want to see how they did that. It's like, how did you guarantee, you know, locking, you know, concurrency issues? Uh, Rust just doesn't, does Rust automatically solve all, all these problems? Well, you have to deal with them somehow, right? Because if, if, if there is a connection available, it says available, and there are three threads, they want to see it available. One thread takes it, it has to be marked as in use. Cannot use the same connection for some other stuff. I suppose you can if you if it's HTTP two, you can send multiple. I suppose multiple different streams on the same connection, but that's nasty as well. But essentially, you have to mark the connection if it's like HTTP one. You have to mark it as in use. The moment you mark it as in use, how does the other thread knows that? Oh, now it has changed. So there's a brief. They call it mutex or semaphore. You have to lock this temporarily just to change the state. And that's where the the things that you need to deal with. The and that's tricky. Rust seems to have better ways of dealing with this. I cannot talk to that again. Maybe uh, some Rust experts uh, that are listening or watching to the, or this can, can chime in. But I can't imagine you don't deal with that you have to deal with shared object the same way pretty much right you have to either to lock it or call a mutex or do a semaphore or do some sort of a concurrency management first last one and the most important one is your service require extensive customization here's the problem with proxies and i'm not going to say problem but here's the limitation of proxies that led to the birth of other proxies, probably. Uh, configuration. It's like, hey, here's a. We know what we do. We we build a proxy. Here's a proxy. Here's HA proxy. Here's here's Nginx. Here's Envoy. And okay, uh, but I really need to configure this, and I need to add this, and I need to add this. All right, we'll expose configuration for you. Okay, here's how you configure it. Oh, just add, and we have to invent a new language for configuration, either YAML, Yuck, or JSON, or whatever you want, or your own configuration language. Just just tell me what, what to do. But then we ask, oh, but I really need to configure how long can I wait until the backend responds back to me? Like, oh yeah, use this time configuration. Oh, you know what? Actually, it's actually a good idea to add this configuration. So let's code it in. So the, the product keeps improving, improving, add configuration, add configuration. Just like we do with Postgres. Postgres, if you go back all the way to 7.3, version 7.3, you'll see, like, take the wall configuration, the right ahead lock. You'll see 
perhaps five configuration. Then go back all the way, version 16, you'll see pages, you're just scrolling of all configurations. Why? Because people want to improve this thing. What's happening here is like someone built, it's like, hey, you know what? We're not gonna configure because configurations is endless. And most of the time, configuration works for most of the people. But there's like this sliver of people that configuration doesn't work for them. Ah, I really want this. I want an option to, to wait, but only if this option is true. So it becomes very, very convoluted and, and very specific. So that you cannot even build it in configuration sometimes. Configuration cannot do that. So it's nice, right? To just like out of the box, build something. But it doesn't always work, right? So they said, we're going to give you a customizable. Here's a bunch of APIs, framework, highly programmable. There's nothing to configure. You have to customize it. You built it yourself. Do whatever you want. And what I'm envisioning is someone is going to build a, a basic Pangora. That's the next thing that's going to ship. It's like, hey, here's like a vanilla Pangora proxy. And then, ironically, someone will expose it as a configuration. Mark my words. This is going to happen in the next year. Someone's going to build a Pingora spinnable, ready-to-use Pingora proxy with an exposed configuration. <laughs> and I bet that that thing is going to become more popular than the customizable version. That's just a guess. But what is happening here is they give you a way to configure all of this. So when I saw this, like, I didn't have any interest to learn Rust, but this ignites a need, a want, if you will, for me to learn rocks, just so I can test this guy. It's like, what can I do? Where can I go there? You see? It's interesting. And it might be just me, but I think this thing is a fresh idea. I've never seen it before. A network, a collection of network services exposed in a memory safe language that is very, very popular, right? And you can build your own proxy from scratch. It's like someone exposed. Is there anything we can talk about here? Yeah, there's this stuff is just. Yeah, they say that the API is not stable and what okay, here's how you contribute. But yeah, uh, let's go back. But yeah, it's like someone has built <laughs> uh, a framework for database systems. And they said, hey, don't build your own database. We know the most difficult problems to solve in databases is how to uh, do transactions, how to do, uh, how to save the, how to create the wall, how to do shared buffer pools, how to do the pages. Here are a bunch of APIs. And to create your own database, just add this line, that's this line, and here, spin it up, and you get you get yourself a database. Oh, you want to change it? Oh, you really don't want to, uh, you don't you do want a row store, you want a column store? Oh, just change it, because, hey, we're exposing 
a page concept for you. You can put anything inside it. We don't care, you know? And then you start building everything, right? I don't know how that will look like, but it's something similar to what we're reading here. You know, a framework for network services, a framework for database services doesn't exist today, as far as I know. Yeah? But it's an interesting idea. I don't know if it's going to take off or not. Maybe some companies are going to use this to build their own proxy. So people who like want to pick a proxy or a reverse proxy or a load balancer or an API gateway, they want to build any of these stuff. What they're going to say is, like, all right, should we build our own? Should we go with Nginx? Should we go on invoice? Should we go with Istio? Should we go with blah, 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 blah? Should we get all of this? Or should we build one from scratch? It's like, well, it's a good thing. You don't have to start from scratch. Those guys build all of the stuff and it's open source so you can see what they're built. It's an attractive thing. It is an attractive offer. So, oh, we don't have to start from scratch. Rust, um, there's a lot of developers, Rust developers. So it might be a good idea. And then uh, you start, of course, it's, it's not it's not stable yet. So it's not, need probably a year or two to, to solidify. But it is an interesting idea. Did I talk about all that I needed to talk about? So as usual, let's thank the authors. Yuchin Wu. Edward Wang, Andrew Hawk. Good work. Interesting product. We, call, we used to call it Pingora the proxy. It's now a framework. You can do anything you want with it. So we've seen frameworks. Then evolution, really, because if you think about it, like what happened to Node.js with JavaScript and now Deno and Ban, everybody wants a way to build backends, right, web servers or whatever, and they use these things, you know, and JavaScript being as, as a front-end language brought to the backend became very popular. So, oh, I know this thing. I can immediately jump in and learn or jump in and build this stuff. So that's actually popular. I wonder how much of a big of a hit this will do. Now, final points like i wonder how much of a big hit will do to like all these service meshes you know you know they pay a lot of money for these service meshes you know linkrd and istio and envoy these still are rich and they do so much stuff but how long until all of these features are available in the pingora api and you can just boop spin up your own for free? Enterprise features? Again, it's a whole Pandora's box just open. And uh, I still need some more time to process this. But to process this a little bit more. I oh, know. Let's keep thinking about it, guys. All right. See you in the next one. Bye.